It's good to be here. Thank you, Timothy. For I was at a church the other day, and instead of it used to bother me, I always be introduced as a spiritual father. But at this church, I was introduced as a spiritual grandfather, so I get a little worried. So uh, thank you for just going with father. Good to be with you guys. I always enjoy coming to Vintage. Uh, excited about what the Lord's doing in your church. I get to meet with Steve periodically. Uh, we try to make it maybe once a month. Doesn't always happen, but uh, he. But it's always fun to hear his reports on what's going on here at the church and uh, how the Lord is blessing you guys. And uh, and really, uh, more recently, some of the uh, sweet moves of the Spirit in terms of uh, releasing. Uh, some gifts into the church. We'll talk about that in a minute, but uh, particularly this uh, sharing with me some of the opportunities where the gift of prophecy has really been showing up. So I encourage you in what God's doing here. Know your important um, uh, staging area for the kingdom of God in this part of the county. And um, again, it's a pleasure to be with you. Over the last... uh, year and a half, I've been doing a um, lot of study, research on revivals, and uh, that was for a reason. This past summer, I did a, a, a camp meeting in, uh, here in Georgia, and I had the morning Bible study, which was 10 mornings, so I did 10 messages on revival. So out of that um, time of study and cultivation, uh, God has given me uh, just a uh, uh, a real renewal in my own heart to see revival within my life as well as the church and also in our churches here in the network because I'm convinced the only way to see community transformation is by a move of God. I mean, we can leverage our human effort toward that as much as we want to, but uh, to truly see the kind of transformation we're talking about it's going to take a work of God. And so um, the Lord's really been encouraging me in that area. Uh, today, therefore, I wanted to share with you uh, particularly uh, one of the aspects I'm seeing about revival. And I, I would say if there was a title for the word this morning, it's revival culture. The importance that we create a culture of Holy Spirit power. Recognize that that is the culture of the New Testament. Uh, to start with, let me just read a, a, a passage out of Galatians chapter 3, uh, verse 3. And Paul says this uh, in writing the Galatians, Are you so foolish, after beginning by means of the Spirit, are you now trying to finish by means of the flesh? So here in this passage, uh, Paul is kind of raising the issue with the Galatians. Uh, uh, that they are shifting out of a culture of Holy Spirit power, out of a culture of revival, into another culture. And uh, he's uh, alerting them not to go down that path. One of the things I find as I read Paul's letters, and all the letters in the New Testament, is that the basic culture of the New Testament church is a culture of revival, Holy Spirit power. And yet, too often we in the Western church miss that because we're trying to read the New Testament through the lens of our Western experience, which more than often is not a revival culture, 
It's uh, a different kind of culture. And so we tend to try to pull down the New Testament to our standard of experience as a church and miss really what Paul is saying in these letters. For example, when Paul uses in his letters the word power, that word is a very, it carries a lot of weight. It's not just he throws it out because it's a neat word. But behind it, there's a, a history that goes back to Jesus speaking of the promised power that would come upon the disciples. And so uh, what I want to do uh, this morning is uh, uh, I, want to, I want us to look at some of the letters of Paul. Because again, we tend to devalue what was going on in the New Testament church. Uh, not too long ago, I was reading an argument being made that in the letters to the New Testament churches, you don't find Paul or John or Peter speak, uh, introducing the church into Holy Spirit power like you find in the narratives of Acts, like when they came to Ephesus or in Samaria, where they asked the people if they had experienced the Spirit's power and prayed for them for Holy Spirit power. Uh, you don't find that in the, in the letters and the argument was inferring that as the church gets mature, as it becomes older, then this kind of experience is not necessary because now the church is on autopilot, kind of doing pretty well on its own. Uh, I would uh, make the argument that if Peter or John or Paul are not calling the early church through the letters into Holy Spirit power, it's for one reason only. Those churches were already in Holy Spirit power. They were living in a revival culture. And basically, the letters are written to these churches to help them maintain that culture. As a matter of fact, as we'll see in a moment, in some of Paul's letters, he's responding and reacting to some situations that are developing in the churches that are destroying that culture that are exchanging that culture of revival, of Holy Spirit power, for another culture. And that's why Paul is alarmed in these letters. So, we're going to look at three of his letters, uh, just some brief uh, overviews of these letters, to, to make the point that uh, the New Testament church was moving in the power of the Spirit. This was their understanding of church life. It was the culture out of which they existed. And therefore, should be ours as well. We cannot use, uh, we cannot pull down the standard of the New Testament in order to justify our low standard as the Western Church. We must look at the New Testament's culture for what it is, and then ask ourselves, how do we get there? How do we, how do we as Westerners in the in this time and in this place? How do we move into the culture that we see represented in Paul's letters? So, uh, the first culture I want to look at, or the first church I want to look at, is the, is the church at Galatia. And again, this is just a, a very brief overview of uh, some of the things that Paul says. I'm not even going to give reference here. You can read the letter if you want to. But just I'm going to refer to some of the things that Paul speaks about what's going on in that church to indicate that it is a church living in the power of the Spirit. So, Paul speaks of the Galatians as receiving the Holy Spirit, experiencing the things of the Spirit, God giving them His Spirit, 
He says that God is working miracles among them. In Galatians 3.14, he says, you have received the promised Holy Spirit using the same words that Jesus used when he talked about the promise of the Father and then later explained that the promise of the Father is Holy Spirit coming on you power. So, same terminology, the promised Holy Spirit, the promise of the Father has come among the Galatians. They're experiencing Holy Spirit power. He says they are walking in the Spirit, which uh, simply means that they are living in this culture of revival. He encourages them to walk it out in their life and in what's going on in their life. So I'm making the case that the church at Galatia was living in a culture of revival, living in a culture of Holy Spirit power. Now, uh, and therefore we should be too, because our standard is the New Testament and what the New Testament is, uh, is indicating. Now, in Galatians 3, chapter 1, Paul suddenly uh, shifts gear in a kind of an abrupt way. Uh, J.B. Phillips translates Galatians 3, 1 this way. Oh, you dear idiots of Galatia. Uh, I think the NIV says, you foolish Galatians. Uh, but obviously, something has Paul stirred up about the Galatians. And really, what he's stirred up about is that they are exchanging their culture of revival, their culture of Holy Spirit power for something else. And that's what has him upset. So basically, they're exchanging... The culture of revival for a culture of religion. Now, let me kind of define the difference between the two. A culture of religion says we have to do something for God. It's up to us. It's up to our human effort to accomplish something for God. That is the culture of religion. The culture of revival says we have to believe God to do something in our midst. We have to believe God by His Spirit to do things in us and to do things among us that only He can do. And so what Paul is saying is, look, you are exchanging your culture of faith for God to do something in your life for a culture of human effort where you're doing things for God. Where you define your purpose as simply doing things for God instead of your purpose being to believe God, to release and manifest His grace and power in your life as, as a community. And, uh, and that's what has him upset. Now, Paul asked this question in this third chapter. He says, did God give you His Spirit? In other words, did God give you the Holy Spirit and continue to give you His Spirit and do miracles among you because... You did something for God or because you believe God to do something in your life? And, of course, the answer to that is because they believe God. I mean, before Paul came to them, they were pagans. They weren't doing anything for God. Paul preaches the gospel. They believe Jesus for the forgiveness of their sins. The Spirit comes into them. They're born again. The Spirit comes upon them in revival. And they realize that this life is a life of faith in which they're believing God to do things in them and through them that they cannot do on their own. And Paul says, you know, this was your beginning. And he says, if you, if you deny 
that you're supposed to be living in this culture of Holy Spirit power, then you deny everything that happened in your beginning. Now, one thing I would say to all of us here today, it doesn't matter what culture you came out of, I mean, what tradition you come out of. As a, as a believer, where you were saved, the tradition out of which you were saved. Maybe some of you here were saved in the Baptist church. Maybe some of you in a Methodist church. Maybe some of you Presbyterian, Charismatic, Pentecostal, Independent. It really, every one of those traditions were at one time a movement. And all of those movements, if you go back far enough into their history, were, they were initiated by a powerful move of the Spirit. Just about every great movement in the church finds its beginning in a wave of the Holy Spirit being released. And then that movement created the traditions out of which we come. So for us to embrace a culture of human effort as the only culture of the church, as the primary culture of the church, is to deny the very power that brought our traditions and movements into existence. And in a sense, maintain them. This is what Paul is saying. He's saying if you, if you deny, if you deny Holy Spirit power, then you're denying the very thing that brought you into existence. Now, the thing about the, um, the Galatians is that they were leaving a culture of revival to move into a culture of religion. The problem with the Western church is that many believers have never experienced a culture of revival. All they've known is a culture of religion. Now, now I'm not saying... We haven't believed God to forgive us of our sins through the blood of Jesus, through his death and through his resurrection. We believe that and we've experienced salvation. But after that, it's kind of been all human effort. I mean, maybe a little praying here and there, asking God to move, but not saying that primarily our culture is one of faith. That's true in other parts of the world, but in the West is not always the case. That the primary culture of the church is one of believing God to manifest himself and strength and power among us and in our lives. Uh, now, so the Galatians were leaving something they knew for something else they wanted. We as Westerners are seeking for something that many of us have never experienced. Uh, but I would say this. That doesn't matter because we can still come into the culture of revival. Not long ago, I was reading a story of Jonathan Goforth. Timothy was talking about C.T. Studd. Jonathan Goforth was a missionary about the time of C.T. Studd, maybe a little earlier in the early 1900s. He was in China. He was an evangelical. He believed in Jesus. He preached the gospel. He wanted to see people saved. He read the word. He prayed. But he was seeing no fruit in his ministry. Somebody gave him a copy of Charles Finney's Lectures on Revival. Actually, it was just a, a, a track on that book, just kind of giving an outline of it. It so piqued his interest that he got an autobiography of Charles Finney, began to devour it, and realized that the thing that was missing in his life was revival, was Holy Spirit power. He began to seek the Lord. He prayed, asking God to come upon his life. And in 1908, revival not only came to him, but it broke out in China. And through that period of time in his, in his ministry, tens of thousands of nationals came to the Lord in China. 
I want you to hear what uh, Jonathan Goforth says at the end of his uh, long revival career. He says this, The principle is clear that any group of believers may receive the full blessing of Pentecost. Any group of believers. It doesn't matter if you've never seen revival. We can still receive it. But it's a matter of us getting into a posture of faith. Getting into a posture of believing God to do something in our lives and in our community that is beyond anything we can pull off. Because that is the way into revival. To get hungry for God's power. God's power working in our lives. Not because we're just thrilled with His power, but because we realize God's power is the only solution to the dilemma we're in in our communities, in our nation, and in our lives. It is only His working within us by His grace that can accomplish what needs to be done in this hour. So, the Galatians were moving from a culture of revival to a culture of religion. Now, I want to look at another church. Uh, the other church is the Corinthians. And uh, Paul planted a church in Corinth. And again, uh, just kind of a quick sketch of some of the things out of 1 Corinthians and 2 Corinthians. We learned uh, that uh, Paul came to them in revival power. In just a moment, we'll read one of the verses that, uh, that expresses this, that when he came to them, not only did they receive the gospel and believe in Jesus, but the Spirit came upon them in power. Uh, he also says that they are not lacking in any spiritual gifts, any gifts of the Holy Spirit. This is a community that's functioning in all the gifts of the Holy Spirit. Uh, he, in, in the first letter to the Corinthians, he says they, the, the church, the community is the temple of the Holy Spirit. In his second letter, he says you as individuals are temple of the Holy Spirit. Your body is a temple of the Holy Spirit. Um, he also gives his fullest discussion on spiritual gifts in verse Corinthians. 12, uh, 13, and 14. So these people are moving in the Spirit's power. It's obvious. The Corinthians knew the Spirit's power. Now again, I say that to show that the Corinthians were in this culture of revival. Holy Spirit power. But in the letter, and particularly in 1 Corinthians, Paul feels it's important to remind them, the Corinthians, how... Revival came to them in the beginning. Remember, Paul was the one who started the church. He preached the gospel. He was the first one to preach the gospel to the Corinthians. And so he takes time to remind them how revival came to them in the very beginning. And the way he reminds them, he wants them to remember his condition, his, his mental condition when he came to them to preach the gospel. So we pick up in 1 Corinthians chapter 2. Verse 3. Now listen to what Paul says. He's reminding them how revival first came to them and what his condition was when that revival came. He says, I came to you in weakness with great fear and trembling. My message and my preaching were not with wise and persuasive words, but with a demonstration of the Spirit's power. In other words, he says, when I preach to you, the Spirit came in power. He demonstrated His power in your midst. So that your faith might not rest on human wisdom, but on God's power. He said, I wanted this to happen 
So that when you were established as a church, you were not established on the power of human wisdom, but you were established on the power of God. You understood that the power of God is essential to you as a community of faith. And you would continue to contend for that power. So, why is Paul doing this? Why is he bringing up this whole issue of how revival first came to them? And why is he reminding them of how weak and how scared and terrified he was when he came into their midst? I think it's for this reason, as you read the rest of the the Corinthian letters, is that Paul was seeing that the church there in Corinth was also exchanging uh, or leaving the culture of revival for another culture. But they weren't leaving the culture of revival for religion. They were leaving the culture of revival for the culture of self-promotion. The promotion of self. They were giving themselves over to a culture that was all about what they could do and what they could leverage and what they could get out of it. And so uh, Paul sees a concern. In 1 Corinthians, Paul sees this uh, spirit of promotion, of self-interest among the believers in the church. In 2 Corinthians, he sees it uh, among some leaders from the outside, leaders who were coming into the church, influencing the church because of their culture of promotion, self-promotion, self-interest. He mentions this uh, as you look through the letters, that they were turning to impressive wisdom to promote their ideas, eloquent speech to promote their ministry. They were charging fees to promote their wealth, showing off spiritual gifts to promote their spirituality, endorsement of personalities to promote their notoriety. In other words, Self-promotion was so big in the Corinthian church, this is how big it was, that they were beginning to question that Paul was even an apostle because he wouldn't enter into this promotion stuff. They were saying to Paul, you're not, you're not professional enough. First of all, you're not charging for your ministry. You come with no endorsements. You're, you're not a true apostle like these apostles of promotion that are coming to us. And basically, Paul says, I'll have nothing to do with it. I am not going into this culture of promotion. That's why Paul wanted to remind them why revival came to them in the first place. It wasn't because Paul was promoting himself. He came to them scared and humble and unsure about what would happen, but depending upon God to show up. Remember, Paul was coming to Corinth out of Athens. He had been in Athens and he had preached the gospel, but he only saw a few people come to the Lord. It was very, it was unlike what had happened in Thessalonica, the, the church before Athens. When he was in, in, among the Thessalonians, the power of God came, revival broke out, and there was a tremendous move of God. He comes to Athens, not much happens. Now he's coming to Corinth and he's scared to death that he won't see the fruit that he saw among the Thessalonians. That he'll continue to see the the dismal outcome that he saw in Athens. And so he said, I came to you afraid. I came to you determined that I would know nothing but Jesus and him crucified. I came to you in humility and weakness, believing God to show up. And God demonstrated his power through the Holy Spirit. 
It was not about self-promotion, Paul says. When I came to you, it was not about me promoting myself. It was not about promoting my abilities or my wisdom. It was about the power of God. And I came to you scared to death that if God didn't show up, then what I'm doing means nothing. Frank Bartleman was one of the early leaders in the Pentecostal revival. He was uh, a holiness preacher out of kind of the Methodist circles. And uh, the Welsh revival was going on across the ocean. And so Bartleman and a group of people started praying in Los Angeles that God would pour out his spirit upon Los Angeles. And uh, they prayed and prayed until they saw revival come. And it became that revival was the Pentecostal revival, the Azusa Street revival. Uh, while that revival was going on, it, Bartleman had a strong prophetic word to the, the Pentecostals that were coming out of that revival. Uh, and this is what he said. Let us get built up by a sense of our own self-importance and we are gone. God has always sought a humble people. He can use no other. God is looking for humble people. Now, one of the problems in the Western church is that we not only have self-promotion or promotion or institutional promotion, but we've perfected it. We made a science of it. Now, look, it's all right. We put out a sign or we put out literature. I'm not talking about that. But I'm talking about a, a obsession with promoting ourselves and thinking that somehow the promotion of ourselves, the promotion of who we are, the promotion of our successes, that that is going to be the thing that wins today. It won't be the thing that wins today. The only thing that wins today is a group of humble people that are believing God to break in. And that's what God's looking for in this day. It's what Paul is saying here to the, to the Corinthians. He said, look, the revival that changed everything in your life broke in because of humility, not because of self-promotion. Says, As a matter of fact, I wanted it to be that way so that your church would be built Upon the power of God and not the eloquence of human speech. I wanted you to understand that a community under Jesus Christ is a community of power. But it's God's power, not self-leverage, self-leveraging power. It is the power of God working among his people. And I want you to believe for that and to live in it and to maintain it. Because that's the only way you're going to be able to survive. Paul says he'll have nothing to do with this, this self-promotion. That I, he, he said, I'm, I'm committed to this life of, of humility. He said, that's why when I came to you, I only wanted to know Jesus Christ and him crucified. And the reason he only wanted to know that is because Paul understands that at the moment of Jesus' greatest weakness... The greatest power of God broke in through resurrection power. And he says that's the key to power. The key to power is humility, weakness, recognizing it's not us, but it's him. 
and us depending upon him to come. I, uh, I, I mentioned Frank Bartleman. Um, when, when the Azusa Street Revival broke, it actually started in a little cottage on Bonnie Bray Street where the people were gathering together to pray with William Seymour, uh, the African-American revivalist who was such a key uh, leader in the Azusa Street Revival. So they were praying and the Holy Spirit fell upon them. And uh, later on, the group got so big, they had to move to an abandoned Methodist church on Azusa Street. So they moved over there. It's 1906. And, uh, and the power of God continued there for a year and a half. People coming from all over the world. And to this day, the influence of that revival is impacting the world in so many different countries. But when Bartleman went to the, the meeting after the Holy Spirit had fallen upon the people, and he observed what was going on. I want you to hear what he describes as the key element in that group of people that had just experienced one of the greatest revivals in church history that was to affect the entire world and still affecting the world. He says this. There was a general spirit of humility manifested in the meeting. They were taken up with God. The Lord had found his little company at last. Look, God is not looking for a great church that promotes itself. He's just looking for a little company of people who would humble themselves and say, God, we need you. We're in such a mess that there's nothing we can do to leverage this situation to turn it around. But you have shown us in history time and time again that a move, a wave of your spirit across a community, across a nation or across the human heart can change everything. And so that's what we're contending for. We've got to have it. And we've got to have it in this day. So Paul says, look, humble yourselves, humble yourselves and begin to pursue him. And I want to encourage you in that. Several months ago. The Lord spoke to me. He said, Mark, I just want you to humble yourself and pray and keep praying that I would revive you, that I would revive your heart. And, and you know, it's been interesting as I do that. The Lord just uh, gives me tokens of his grace and power in ways I hadn't seen before. Now, I'm not saying I'm in full fledged revival. No, but I'm finding that with a hum- if we humble ourselves and say, God, we need you, we need you in our life, I need you in my heart, we need you in our churches, would you come? He responds. And he begins to show up in unusual ways with tokens of his power. And ultimately, what we're contending for is a great display of his power at the level of revival. Now, here's the, here's the third church, and we're done with this one. It's the Thessalonians that I mentioned previously. Uh, and uh, the letter to the Thessalonians is one of the earliest accounts of a New Testament church. Paul wrote the letter within a year after he planted the church, maybe six to nine months after he planted the church. As I mentioned, he went to Athens and then the Corinth. And from Corinth, he wrote this letter to the Thessalonians where he had been. And, uh, and, and he, when he writes the letter, he reminds them how revival broke out when he came and how they rejoiced in the Holy Spirit. 
Since he had been away, he says, the whole region knew about their transformation through the Holy Spirit. He says, I go to places to tell them what happened among you, and they already know. They tell me before I can tell them. They're aware of what happened in your midst and what is going on there. He says, the church is a model for all the churches. And I believe he, he's saying you're a model because you're, you model the culture of revival. You model a culture of Holy Spirit power. And so you're a model for all the churches. So here we have the earliest document, one of the earliest documents of the New Testament, of a New Testament church. And that church is a model because Holy Spirit power is moving among those people. Now, Paul is not upset with the Thessalonians like he was with the Galatians or the Corinthians. Um, they were spreading the cultural revival. They were, even in the midst of persecution, great persecution, they were contending for God's power in their community. But he does give them some important um, advice on how to continue or maintain revival, the revival that they're experiencing and seeing. And in this list uh, of maintaining for maintaining a revival culture, uh, he, he gives several points, and we'll break into the list. It's in First uh, Thessalonians chapter 5, beginning in verse 16. And it's just kind of a list of things he's giving them in order to stay in this flow of the Holy Spirit. He says, number one, rejoice always. He says, pray continually. Give thanks in all circumstances, for this is God's will for you in Christ Jesus. Here's the one I want you to hear. Do not quench the Spirit. Do not put out the fire of the Spirit. In other words, do not push back on the Spirit and what the Spirit's doing. Do not treat prophecies with contempt. The gift of prophecy. Don't put it down. Use it. Listen to it. Encourage it. But test them all. Test the prophecies. Test the work of the Spirit. Hold on to what is good and reject every kind of evil. Now, what Paul seems to be cautioning here or, or uh, concerned about is the danger of the Thessalonians moving from a, a culture of revival to a culture of caution. Where they're so cautious that they put out the fire of the Spirit that they shut down prophecy. Maybe because somebody's misused it or abused it, or I don't know. Or maybe because God is doing something they don't understand, and so they kind of shut things down. But uh, basically, his concern is that they not move into a, such a, a position of caution that they will shut down anything God might want to do simply because it's beyond anything they've ever experienced. That's the danger. Uh, one of the problems with the Western church, you don't see this, and uh, many of you have been on mission trips, I'm sure, have been in churches across the world. Uh, one of the dangers of the Western church, and I think it's because of our scientific mindset, is that we have a strong anti-supernatural bias. If anything happens that's supernatural, our first reaction is shut it down. If anything happens that's beyond our ability to understand or beyond our experiential history, our reaction is shut it down. We've got to know what's going on. We've got to understand what's going on. 
But I, you don't see that in the third rule. You don't see it in the New Testament. There was a willingness, a willingness to walk out things in the Spirit that meant crossing new frontiers of faith, new frontiers of experience. And I think that's one of the things Paul's saying about don't quench the Holy Spirit. Uh, don't put out the fire of the Spirit. Be open to what God wants to do in your life. I, I was reading uh, the writings of uh, Martin Lloyd-Jones, great, the great preacher in England. Now, Lloyd-Jones was not a Pentecostal. He was a Calvinist. And yet, he had experienced revival at a young age, and he always carried in his heart a desire to see revival. One of the great books uh, that he wrote is Joy Unspeakable, which is really a book on the baptism of the Spirit. But it's a, but it's a wonderful book also on revival. And uh, Jones cautions us about being so biased against the supernatural that we shut down the work of God's Spirit in our midst or in our life. I find individuals are so worried about the Holy Spirit doing something in them beyond what they know or understand that if anything begins to happen, they shut it down. They say, well, we don't want to get weird. don't want to get too emotional. So, you know, we, we quench it. And so, Jones says this, what do we know about the realm of the Spirit? What do we know of the Spirit falling upon people? What do we know about the great manifestations of the Holy Spirit? We need to be very careful, lest we be found to be fighting against God, lest we be guilty of quenching the Holy Spirit of God. Now, does this mean anything goes? No. Paul talks about discernment, wisdom. If you're in a strong community like this, a community of love, a community of, uh, of trust, I believe you're in a great position to walk out life in the Spirit. We're not talking about a maverick life where you go off on your own and begin to do things. We're talking about do, living life in community, in the Word, in faith, trusting one another, gives you the freedom to begin to walk out the realities of the Holy Spirit in your life as an individual and in your life as a community. Uh, as a matter of fact, in this passage, and, and I think this is one place where we in our Western thinking have uh, kind of flipped a word, we, we changed it, we've reversed it so that it has a negative connotation instead of a positive connotation. In this passage we just read on this list, Paul says, test everything. Test everything. And a lot of times when we read that word, we see it as negative. And we've got to check it out. It may get weird. Something's going to happen here. We, we don't want the devil to deceive us. It's like we have more faith in the devil to deceive us than in God to lead us, you know. So you have to always be negative because you never know what's going to happen. It's almost like we see ourselves as spiritual TSA agents, you know. <laughs> and so we've got to pat down the Holy Spirit and make sure he's not carrying anything dangerous into the meeting, you know, and kind of get out of hand. Uh, but that's not what Paul means when he says test everything. I, I was reading a translation the other day, and, and the word test was translated in a very positive way. The guy used the word explore everything. When you go to test drive a car, it's not because you fear the car. <laughs> it's because you like it and you want to see what it can do. And I think it's Paul saying test everything. Check it out. Check it out. If there's something bad, you let it go. If it's good, keep pressing into it. Even if you're testing something that's doing things beyond anything you've ever experienced before, 
Be a person of expectation for what God can do in your life. And for what God can do in the community here. Uh, live in expectation for the work of the Lord. I, I was reading in John Wesley's journals. Uh, actually, it was a book on revival, which was quoting from Wesley's journals. And in 1739, the revival began in England with John Wesley and George Whitfield. Uh, that New Year's, the New Year's of 1739, they met all night from, from that night of 1738 to 1739. They met all night praying with a group of Moravians and some friends of his, John and Charles Wesley and George Whitfield. And the Holy Spirit fell on them in power. Two weeks after that, George Whitfield goes out and starts preaching in the fields of England, which was unheard of for an Anglican priest. And people started gathering and responding and coming to the Lord. He talks Wesley into doing it. John Wesley goes out and he begins to preach in the fields. And so we pick up, this is maybe several months after the Holy Spirit falls on them and the revival begins. And Wesley is talking about his preaching out in the fields. And he decides in the midst of, after he preaches, he decides to ask the Lord, Lord, if what I've said is true, then confirm it with your power. If what I'm preaching is true among these people, and I mean thousands of people are beginning to show up to hear these men preach because God is moving in the area of the power of God is gathering people, people who were never seeking Jesus before. Now they're coming to Jesus. And so Wesley says, you know, if this is true... Uh, confirm it. So here's where we pick up on his, uh, his journal. I called upon God to confirm his word, the word that Wesley just preached. Immediately, to my surprise, someone nearby cried out with utmost vehemence as though in agony of death. So a person suddenly comes under conviction of the Holy Spirit and they begin to cry out that God would have mercy upon them and And Wesley says, we prayed for them and several other did the same. We prayed for them and they came into an experience of joy and praise as they were saved. Well, a few weeks later, he's out preaching again. He says, you know, this, I'm going to try this again. And notice how he's exploring the revival. But he says, this time I'm going to invite the people to pray with me. (laughs) So after he preaches, he kind of explains to people, look, we're going to pray now. And we're going to pray together that God would confirm what I just preached. So we pick up on this. I asked them, that is the people, to pray that if this was the will of God, what I just preached, he would bear witness to his word. Immediately, one, then another, and another sank to the earth. They dropped on every side as if thunderstruck. The power of God breaks in. And suddenly people are being overwhelmed by the presence of the Lord's majesty in their midst. And then later on, Wesley says, he's out preaching. It was that evening, that same evening, the evening of that day where he just saw this. And he says, before I could even ask God to confirm it, the power of God comes in and begins to touch people's hearts. If you look through church history, uh, One of the things you notice about the power of the Spirit is that the wind blows wherever he desires. You don't know where he's coming from, and you don't know where he's going. But the key is to set sail with the wind of the Spirit. 
to explore what he's doing. If we could take this congregation and pick it up and set it in the revivals of New England under Jonathan Edwards or the revivals with Wesley and Whitfield in England, I don't know how we would react. Maybe some of us say, look, I'm out of this. I, you know, uh, someone said a revival in history or a revival in another part of the world is a lot different than a revival in your backyard. <laughs> and it is true. But to me, God is, one of the things God is looking for are people that say, look, we have a community of faith. We are in the word of God. We are walking this out. And we are willing to cross new frontiers of the spirit in order to see, in order to see the level of transformation that must happen in this time and in this hour. And that's the key to revival. To have a culture of revival instead of a culture of caution. A caution so great that it shuts everything down. So, I want to encourage you as a church to, uh, to believe in this year. That when you come to the end of this coming year, you will say, you know, we have crossed frontiers of faith. And we have seen new levels of God's power demonstrated. I, again, uh, one of the things I'm asking God for, and, and I think Timothy was mentioned about the whole idea of planting 20 churches. And, you know, yeah, there are ways we can do that and we're getting at it slowly but surely. But I, I believe God wants to do something that suddenly that whole thing just kind of takes off. I mean, in India, churches are being planted every week. <laughs> In China, the same thing. Why is that not happening in the West? I think the key is the Spirit's power. The Spirit's power moving among us. And so I'm praying for that. I want to encourage you at Vintage to pray in that direction. Because our mission as churches is to see the community transformed. And again, I believe the only way to see the level of, uh, of uh, epic transformation that we want to see is by the power of God. So, uh, and I, I'd like to believe that vintage is the place where it break out. <laughs> so, I want to encourage you as a people. Say, Lord, expand our hearts. Expand our vision. Expand our expectation. Uh, make us a people of revival culture. Not a people of religion. Not, not a, a, a people of caution. Not a people of self-promotion. No, we say no to all that. We say yes to your spirit and his power. We're going, to, we're going to spend some time in ministry. I want to pray over you as a church. And let me remind you uh, the opportunities you have here at the end of the service to come and receive communion. Obviously, uh, communion represents that historic moment in which Jesus died for our sins. Uh, the moment of his, his death and his resurrection. The very thing Paul said, this is what I want to center in on. And maybe some of you... <laughs> want to do as Paul did and just come and receive these elements and say, I want to know nothing, Lord, except you crucified and resurrected. I want to know you and your power in my life. And I want to come in humility to you. Uh, there may be some of you who would like to come down from ministry here. There will be some folks down at the front who would be glad to pray with you. And then also we have an offering basket here at the front if, uh, if you'd like to express your worship in that way. Let's, uh, let's pray together as uh, we prepare for a time of ministry.
Lord Jesus Christ, we cry out to you. Revive us. Revive us, Jesus, by your Spirit. Revive our hearts. Revive our churches. Revive our nation, Lord. We need a move in this hour. We need it, Lord. This is beyond our ability to fix. So we cry out to you. Father, we cry out to you. For the sake of your Son. For the sake of exalting his name over our lives and over this nation. Release your spirit and supernatural force. Do something that only you can do in this hour, Lord. Transform us by your grace. Lord, give us hearts of expectation. We pray that this would be the year. This would be the year that vintage would see things that are an indication, a token of revival power that would stir them to believe even more. I pray it, Lord, for this whole community. Would you do something so great and so massive that even those who are lost will say, what is this? What is this that we see and hear about? What is this that's going on? Lord, something so, so great and so powerful that Jesus would receive all praise and glory over this community. We love you and honor you today. Lord, I pray even this morning, by your Spirit, minister, minister powerfully by your great grace. For we pray it in your holy name. Amen.